Hi, this is John from Music Seeds. Um, I just wanted to give you a heads up that I pre-recorded this conversation by just starting it with record. So there's not really any introduction. Uh, me and my guest today, Jeremy McCree, kind of just get our conversation going and we just started talking and it didn't stop. And usually I'm pretty good about introducing who's on here, but... It was just so great to catch up with them that I kind of just went in to start having a conversation with them and hit record. Um, this was a pretty long conversation, so I hope you enjoy. Again, uh, this is uh, Mr. Jeremy McCree. I used to work with him, and uh, here you go. Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds. The music that made us. You know, but so I have this little record store. It's called Bogies, Bo Bogies Music West, and she's been there for like 20, 25 years. Um, Is it in Castle Rock? Yeah, it's here in Castle Rock. And, um, you know, I follow her on Instagram, so I get to see, like, you know, I, I'm luckily, lucky enough, knock on wood, that when she posts something and she posts it on a Friday and it's slow, mm -hmm. I can actually leave my house and go down and, like, pick up the, the new used vinyl. I don't like buying new vinyl. Yeah. Because anything new I can listen to, right? Like, if a new yeah. a band I like releases a new album, I can go to Spotify and I can listen to it, right? And I understand that I'm supporting them, but I want to go to the earlier conversation. I'm kind of, like going back to a, a child when it comes to music, going back and listening to the stuff that I grew up on, but I'm listening to more of that artist. I'm like listening to more of like deeper catalogs, like deeper cuts of artists. So it's great, like the, the band, I knew, I probably knew like 10 songs or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But like, I didn't realize that it was the band that did it. Oh, but okay. I'll go, up, I'll go and pick up something that like, I know the artist, but I've never heard that album. I'll bring it home and I'll listen to it because I can appreciate it more. Um, you kind of, like I said, were repetitive, so you kind of get stuck into listening to. You talked about Pearl Jam, right? Yeah. How many times in your life do you go back to Pearl Jam? You probably know Pearl Jam's catalog in the back of your hand. But if you were just going to put something on tomorrow that wasn't new, you just need the music in the background. You would probably defer to, to Pearl Jam, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I would def I would defer to Pink Floyd. Okay. Yeah. If I didn't want to listen to anything new, I just needed music on in the background. I'd probably put on the wall or Dark Side of the Moon or, or whatever, because I know that because it's not music I have to think about. It's just in the back of my head. With these newer artists, and when I say newer, with the newer purchases of albums of older artists that I used to listen to, where I know one or two of their songs, I have to be cognizant of that I don't know this music, and so I actually have to have part of my mind actually listening to it and appreciating it um, delving into it being able to be cognizant that there's a good piece of music or there's a bad piece of music on something i've never heard before because working in a music store as you know eight hours a day you probably listen to the, the same 15 albums a hundred times in a week because we had to listen to the same shit over and over again you know? well i mean you gotta take that back also that we were able to luckily enough listen to stuff that to turn other people on to too like if we like if we knew one of our favorite bands was going to have an album out maybe they weren't as big you could put that thing on and sell a few copies of it because you really enjoyed it right you and know? you know what somebody else wants all it takes is one or two people to come in and go what is this yes i knew okay this is who this is and this you should check this out this is this album but go listen to this album they've got a new album coming out this week and you bring a new person on yeah 
Yes, no, 100%. I, I'm not discounting the working. I, I wouldn't be who I was if it wasn't for those years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wouldn't have the passion I do about music that, um, one, I'm rediscovering, okay? Um, and it's daunting, especially for you. I, I couldn't even imagine if I decided to go back and, like, and I thought about it. I thought about cataloging and actually ripping into a digital format all of the CDs that I've got. Mm-hmm. It's a daunting task to sit down and think that I have 4,000 items or I have 1,000 items or something. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to put that time aside and I'm going to pay attention to it, right? 4,000 hours, 4,000 CDs is, you know, 6,000 hours of music. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like how, do you, how do you put that into, how do you start quantifying that? And there are some people that this is what they do. You know what I'm saying? Music, they have to have music on all the time. And, and, and they ha- it's their background noise. It, it helps cal- calm the noise in their head. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine if I, every time I think that I'm going to sit down and catalog my music, I'm going to at least rip it into a digital format because there are CDs I haven't listened to in 20 years mm-hmm. in my books, right? Something I would, like you said, I would go back and go, holy shit, I haven't listened to this album in 20 years. Why, why am I not yeah, listening to this? Yeah, yeah. But it goes back to putting the record on. I would rather put it, I would rather buy it in vinyl. If I mm-hmm. saw something that I bought 20 years ago that came out on vinyl that I really loved, I would buy it. But again, it goes back to that Instant gratification as well, that I can just turn around and I can hit, click on my computer and I can go, okay, here's that piece of music I can listen to. I can yeah. go to Spotify, here's that yeah. piece of music I can listen to. I just wanted to kind of elaborate a little bit more on what you just said there. Um, yeah, I like that we have access to anything we want to listen to. It's... Right. As long as it's out there and it's available to stream. Right. But I do, I'm also like impartial to like, I'd rather play that record and listen to that record because I know that I will listen to the music and not skip through it. Right. But I also love it for the same aspect that you can get more of a sound from that vinyl than you can from a digital format. This, oh, yeah. I mean, people are like, what about all the crackling and all that? You don't understand that the sound files, the sound waves for vinyl is a lot more complete than a digital compressed format. 100%. Yes. I have an original Peter Gabriel So. I have the original CD I bought when, I, when an album came out. And then I have the remastered version of that So album. And I remember when I bought, like before I got the vinyl, right. but I remember when I bought that remastered version of so and i played it and i played the original and i could hear the clarity was amazing and that's the way it is with vinyl like you know i'm going to use an example like what i'm doing is i'm buying the albums i'll buy a used album and i'll buy a brand new album i usually do once a month i'll get one used and one brand new and the brand new one i usually get is something that i love so much that's already in my collection like a top uh, top 50 CD of mine that I know I want to get on vinyl really bad because I love it so much and I've listened to it a million times, whatever. Here's an example. I bought What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. Right. And I was li- like, that was one of those albums I was listening to it. I have never heard his vocals that good before. I can hear him like right by that mic. Even Noel like sliding his fingers on doing the chords and shit. People don't realize, like, people like us, when you pick up on shit like that, it blows your fucking mind. It does. That is awesome. You get goosebumps. 
it's great to have instant access to music. And I love that I can go, like, if I don't have something and if I can look it up and it's there. And I bought Apple because I love having access to anything when I want without the commercials. And I also like to know, remember we used to have New, new Music Tuesdays? All the new music comes out on Friday. So, like, I will, I can go through all the new music that came out on Friday and, like, check shit out that, you know, somebody that's, like, that tells you, oh, there's not any good shit out there. I do spend the time to, like, hear maybe a track or two of something if I've never heard of them before and go, okay, what's what's this? Oh, what, 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 okay, well, this is different, you know, or go, okay, that's crap, you know, and, or to me, to me personally, it is, you know, and, I, and I've had this argument with people before, I go, it's, you know, it's, it's your taste, it's a generational thing, as long as t- you get joy out of something, and you enjoy something, and it, and you get your rocks off on it in some way or another, I'm like, great, you love fucking music, that's, that's a great power to have, you know, and if you get to play it, you even have more of respect for me, because, you are getting a whole other enjoyment that I wish I could get, that I wish I would have disciplined myself when I was younger. And people are like, oh, you can do it now. And I'm like, that's another hobby. I don't need to have to take up time right now. You know, I'm like, I got enough hobbies. I got enough things. Just be able to like, yeah, okay, every once in a while I can pick it up and, and practice and play. And maybe someday I'll do that, okay? I guess what I'm getting at and tying all this together is that we do live in a great time to where you can listen to anything whenever you want. Okay. And if you can enjoy it one format way or another format way or another way, it's, it's a pretty great thing to have. I haven't listened to music in a long time. You and I couldn't have had this conversation um, like this a year ago or a year and a half ago. Right. Um, I don't think you could have put a podcast together a year and a half, year and a half ago. It's kismet. And that's a totally different conversation. I don't want <laughs> to get off on that tangent. Yeah. Um, those two words that start with a K, karma and kismet, are two of my favorite words in English. So. No, no, I know, I know. I love that you, 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 you can say that and talk about that because my top five, like when concerts get back to normal and you can go, is like Galactic. I, I really, really love Galactic a lot because I love right. that whole jazz and jam thing. I love jazz. I love, I love jazz. I love jazz musicians. Right. I love their improv. I love their improv. Is it, is it, is it, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I love Miles Davis and, you know, and Monk and, and a lot of those guys. I want to talk about some stories. How how many years did we actually work together? Well, I don't think it was that long. It was only like a year, a year and a half. It closed to 2018. Conversationally, 2018 was a very big period in my life. So it was my Gmail address. It's like my handle. It was my handle for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know what it's like going through seclusion and a breakup and I'm in life and so 1018 which was the store in Breckenridge was only closed and then I came to work for you I remember and I have to bring this up because I have to apologize but not apologize at the same time I remember you and I getting into a fight on the floor behind the counter yeah I I don't remember but I think I can try to remember okay I I was I was a dick like this is like three lifetimes ago right like I'm a much different person uh, for a lot of in a lot of ways than I was then but you and I got into a fight. I think I told you, don't ever fucking tell me what to do again or something like that. On the store, behind the county. Right? <laughs> right, right. But then after that happened, you and I became like really good friends. Like we both like just established our baseline. Like we both realized, okay, this other person knows what they're doing. Like let's work together. I don't know. I think that we probably worked together for like six or eight months. And then I left. I left the company. Um, I needed to get out. I came back and I went to work for Jordan. 
But you were you were in, in, in Glenwood at that point. Yeah. So I yep. see. I, I don't I don't I don't think we worked together maybe more than a year. No, we we knew each other and we were friends and I, we went to a right. con, we end up going to convention together because at that right. point you end up becoming a store manager. And like all the store managers were able to go to conventions. That is a thing in itself that no regular person can understand how awesome those things were. And they were such a good time. I mean, you talk about you're learning, you're learning shop maybe a little bit, (laughs) but then you're getting to see all these musical artists and you're hanging out with other people that are music lovers like you. And like I remember just doing those for years, just loving those so much. But so you, you guys were managers way before I was. You guys got to go to. So I started with the company. So I started with the company in '94. Worked there for a year and a half, but I was always like a, a, a part time. Right, that was in Washington, and then I came to Colorado in '96, and I didn't get my first store until uh, 2000. So I missed all those conventions, but I went to the one in 2000 and 2001. I don't know, 2002, maybe 2003. But you guys got to see all of those conventions in the 90s, right? Like, in Vegas. All of those. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't go to Vegas. Like, my first convention was... Minneapolis. Was Minneapolis. But then, but then I actually trumped all of you guys by winning the... Going to fucking Hollywood. Yeah. For, for in, in, in 2000, we had that contest. So I took over 1018 in 2000. June or July of 2000. I remember it was me and Steve and Todd went up to Breckenridge and they fired half the staff. Why'd they fire them? So I don't remember if you remember the manager from, from Breckenridge, but yeah. there was a, a theft. Yeah. A, a deposit went missing. And so they ended up letting everybody go. So when I took over the store, I had one employee. I had the third key. Okay. And you remember fucking 1018. It was a small little store. Yeah, it was, it was a real small there. store. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So, so it's not like I needed like, you know, 50 fucking employees. And then that was the same time Best Buy purchased us or it was like yeah. year, the next year, right? They had some sort of contest. It was like replace per transaction or whatever. Yes. Okay. okay. So, so, so you have like five transactions a day and you have five replays, okay? On a regular basis. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I went to Hollywood High. I grew up five blocks from Hollywood and Highland. 
Um, I went to high school there, and then I moved back here, but I'm from Colorado. So, like, that was, like, the, like the tail end from, like, 88 to, like, 94, I lived in California. But from 90 to 94, I lived in L.A., in Hollywood. So it was kind of cool. Like, one, I get to go to Hollywood. Two, I get to go on the company's time. Three, I'm five blocks where I grew up. But then I go, I go to, I go to this, this convention, and it's at the Kodak Theater. I don't nice. think it's there anymore because they, they Hollywood and Highland, they tore it down after I moved away. That's and kind of where Jimmy Kimmel and all that is now. Right. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel across the street. Okay. Yeah. So what's yeah. funny about where Jimmy Kimmel's at mm-hmm. is the El Capitan Theater. So yes. El Capitan yes. Theater is, yeah. Okay. That's what Jimmy's, Jimmy's, or his studio used to be right next to it. I actually, my, one of my very first jobs I ever had was at El Capitan Theater. Wow. And, and in high school, before that job, I remember standing in line right there. So when you see the front of where Jimmy's place is, in high school, we're talking 92, I remember standing out front of El Capitan waiting to get a job interview. I didn't get a job then. I ended up getting a job there a couple years later because I had friends that worked there. But, yes, it's right across the street. So that's where the Kodak Theater was, where they held the Oscars. It was the Renaissance Hotel. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Renaissance is there anymore. I don't know. Maybe the Kodak's there. But So we're at this complex, the Hollywood and Highland Complex. We do this ceremony. They put me in a, and I didn't know this at the time, they put me in a in a table that's right up next to the stage. I'm literally at the top. So you think about a, a convention at Sam and Goody. You know, yeah. probably got like, you know, like, I don't know, 30 rows of 10 tables, so like 300 yes. tables yep. or whatever. Yep. I was at the very, very front. And long story short, like, I don't know any of these people. I've got a friend I went to high school with, but she was there with me. I don't know any of these people because it's all Best Buy. It's a Best Buy award ceremony. It's not like a Sam Goody convention. Or yeah. And so they start calling these awards, and then, like, I fucking won the number one store that contest and all of Sam Goody. Going up on stage, I'm like accepting this award, and I didn't know this was coming. Like, I knew I won an award, but I didn't know that, like, this is what it was. It was a like, top store for that quarter for Sam Goody, for whatever that contest was. I remember walking down off the stage, and like, I called Steve. Like, and we're talking cell phones, and <laughs> I don't even know if I had a cell phone. I might have called him from the hotel room yeah. afterwards or the next day, calling Steve saying, I won, like, the number one store in the country. Like, did you know this? He's like, yeah, but he didn't tell me, right? I'll tell you, and you can, we're way past the statute of limitations at this point in time, so I'll tell you what happened after that. Yeah. So Best Buy, they were really good to their employees when it came to awards like this. So I ended up getting, like, all these, like, gift certificates, like, all these top store managers for Best Buy, like, I had gift certificates slid into my door. I ended up getting all this promotional shit. I literally probably brought back Three thousand dollars worth of promotional DVDs, CDs. We're talking Case Logic, high-end bags. I brought back a PlayStation. I brought back stereo speakers. I brought all this shit back. Now, mind you, I didn't drive at this point in time. <laughs> I'm sorry. But no, no, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Okay. So, so imagine. This. No, I know you have all this shit. Is why I'm laughing. Okay. So, so I have the suitcase I brought. Okay, but then I'm coming back with two more suitcases. Wow. That's how much shit I have. So I, I have to fly into DIA, so you know DIA. I don't drive, okay? So then I've got to wait for a bus. I have to take a bus to Breckenridge, okay? So I'm taking the Greyhound to Breckenridge. Now, where I lived, I lived in Dillon. The store was in Breckenridge. Yeah, yeah. But I, I lived, I lived like maybe 10 miles from where the Greyhound drops me off. And, it, and 21 years ago, Breckenridge didn't have, they've got a great bus system. It was great for the time. 
but it only ran every hour. So yeah. the Greyhound drops me off. I have to wait like another hour for the bus to show up. The bus shows up. It takes me and it drops me off like a quarter of a mile from home. But the quarter of a mile from home is uphill. Okay. I get off the bus. I have three fucking bags with me, two of them are rollers. I'm walking up the street. I get home. My cats haven't seen me in a week, right? There's, I, don't have, I don't have anybody at this point in time to watch my house. My cats are pissed at me. You know, but that was all like taking music aside. But I did work at the music industry. I did work for a music store. I, yeah. I wasn't around music all day long, which is a job. It was a job I love, like you said at the top of this entire conversation. Mm-hmm. We were part of something that I happened to grow up in. When I say grow up, I, I'm from here. But I happened to move to California in 88. I moved to Hollywood in 90. So I was the tail end of the of Hollywood. Yeah. In the hair metal. Yeah. You were at the end of hair metal, but the beginning of the fucking grunge era. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the same thing for Sam Goody. I was wow. at the, I didn't spend a lot of time at Sam Goody, but I happened to be there at the tail end of the end of what we knew as music back then, the music industry back then, right? We could have never seen... What streaming, what pirating, what yeah. the digital world did to a hard media copy for something. And so, I mean, I, I feel blessed in that aspect. I feel blessed that I was able to uh, experience that because it made you and I who we are. I mean, we already had a baseline when it came to music, but it made us even more so because we, we were able to listen to, we were able to experience music more than most people were. You know, most yeah. people are exposed to the radio, you know what I'm saying, or yeah. MTV or whatever you call MTV nowadays. But we have that experience where we knew what it was like to work in an industry that supported mm-hmm. everybody. Yes. It might not have been good for the artists to an extent, but it supported everybody. You had our A&R reps. You had all the people that, okay, hey, you know, I need free tickets. You were talking about shows. How many shows you Yeah, play? yeah. And so the shows I paid for from 97 it's 2000. I paid for one show. And you've already talked about this show. It was the show of Lenny Kravitz, Black Crow show at uh, Fiddler's. Okay? A great show. Well, it was a fucking amazing show. But let me tell you my experience with that show. Because I had to laugh at the... Uh, who was that conversation with? Was it Dustin? I think you had a conversation with Dustin about that Yeah, show. it might have been Dustin, yeah. Okay. So, here's my experience. And Jack will back this up. If Jack didn't talk about this, Jack will back this up. So, I was working with Jack at that time. And... It was in the era where we could pretty much get tickets to any show we wanted yeah, for the, to. Yeah, for the most part. But yeah. Unless it was really, really big name. Yeah. Right. But it, this was a big name, and it was Sony, okay? And so you had Black Crows and you had Lenny Kravitz, and both were on Columbia, okay, if I remember correctly. Yep. We didn't know if we were going to get tickets. So me, Jack, and Shay bought tickets. I, I don't remember who else was there. I think it, me, me, Jack, and Shay, maybe, yeah. maybe Brett. I don't know if you remember Brett Marlar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we bought tickets to the show, and then come to find out, remember Sanja from Sony? Yeah. Sanja was able to, to get us tickets. We got in. I don't remember if we might have had field seats or whatever. They were up higher. Yeah. But Sanja got us orchestra seats. Nice. So we, sitting, we were sitting, I don't know, we were maybe 10 or 15 seats, not in the middle, but over to the side of Fiddler. Yeah. Right, of the, the stage uh, right, uh, or stage, sorry, stage left, if you're looking out. Mm-hmm. Maybe 15, 20 rows in. Uh, from the stage and so Black Crows came out Black Crows fucking blew me away they were amazing yeah but I don't remember that and I remember it rained yeah okay. so I don't I mean, let's, let's say the, the Black Crows were gonna 
come on from 7 to 7.45, and then Lenny was going to come on from 8 until 10, right? I don't know if that's the time, but let's yeah. just use it as a time. But then it rained. And all I can remember is Sandra coming out. So 8 o'clock comes along, Lenny's not out. 9 o'clock comes along, Lenny's not out. And so they're saying on the stage that they can't play the show because it's an electrical issue because there's rain, right? They don't yeah. want RS out there. Yeah. Sandra comes out and she's like, that's not the truth. Lenny's in the fucking back room, pissy about the fact that there's rain outside and he doesn't want to be on stage. So Lenny doesn't come out and play the two hour set. I remember this, dude. Wow. So he eventually comes out. I don't know. It's like 8.15 or not. Or remember, Fiddler's closes down a little late. Point in time. So Sound like ordinance. Maybe 9.45, yeah. 10 o'clock. It might even have been like 10.15 because I only remember him playing like a 45 minute set. So maybe maybe the Black Crows came out from 8 to 9 and Lenny was supposed to come out from like 9.30 to 11 or whatever. Oh, okay. Wow. That's why but I don't it, remember it that much. Right. Yeah. This because I had to pay for the fucking tickets. We got tickets for free after the fact, but I yeah. paid to get in. But yeah. Sanja got us closer, right? I remember yeah. that. But anyways, Sanja's coming out telling us that Lenny's in the fucking green room. He doesn't want to come out and play. And all I can remember is him coming out and playing a great fucking set. Yeah. Him making a big deal about the fact that oh well they're gonna shut me down at eleven o'clock. I'm going to play until 11 o'clock. And you know what he did? He played until 11 o'clock, and at 11 o'clock, what happened? They turned the power off. And they turned the fucking lights on. Yep. But I only got to see him, and I paid him for these tickets. I only got to see him for maybe 45 minutes. But in that time frame, from 96 until, well, 97, 96, 97 until 2001, 2002, that's the only show I ever paid for. Because... The labels were giving us tickets yeah. because, as I said, what was, was your most show. memorable show that you got a, you got tickets for? Well, I knew you were going to ask me this question, so I thought about it. And it's uh, going to be a funny show. It's not going to be something you expect. So this had been um, ninety. It might have been Christmas '96 and the '97, '97 and the '98. Do you remember they always did a pre-show, uh, a KBPI pre-show? No. no. Okay, so it was a pre. It was it was not the big. It was not the Christmas jam, but it was like the pre-show, like a couple days before. Yeah. Was the Ogden to this day? This question answers. This is like my most memorable show. Uh, one I got for free, but two because of what happened. Do you remember the band Naked? Yes. Yeah. I yeah, remember. Yeah. Song Man's Chinese. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that album really hit me. One because I I, I grew up in Hollywood. Okay. So they were all in Hollywood and they recorded that. I love that album. But that show and it wasn't KBBI's Christmas, whatever that is. It was the pre-show. And I don't even remember who else was there, but Naked was there. And the reason the show was so memorable for me, they lost their equipment. So they came out on stage, the lead singer had an acoustic guitar, the drummer had snare drum, and he had wire brushes. And as you know, wire brushes aren't traditional rock and roll. And I don't even remember if the bass player had his bass. But they came out and did like an impromptu, and they came out and said, we apologize, we flew it again, but our equipment's... They didn't lose it, but it was not there, right? Yeah. So they had an acoustic guitar. They might have had an acoustic bass, I don't remember. But I remember the acoustic guitar, I remember the snare drum, and the drummer with the two wire brushes. And they played such a show that at the end of it, and they only played maybe five songs, and all of their hits, Man Chinese. The lead singer works in Hollywood now, I'm having to look him up. But I remember the passion. I've seen a lot of shows, you've seen a lot of shows, but I can't tell you, when you have a a singer, a bass player, and I don't even remember if the bass player was on stage, and they played their fucking heart out. And at the end of the show, I think he had two strings left on his five-string guitar. 
because he kept on playing through three of them. Like, and so you have to imagine going back to, we're talking the tail end of the 90s, Hollywood 90s, because all of the music is coming out of Hollywood and some of like Capitol Records, NCAA, something, whatever. Yeah. But you have these guys that are on stage that fly to Colorado from LA. They've got a, a radio hit at this point in time. And radio hits are pretty big back then, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can make yeah. or break a band in the 90s. Yep. Because Colorado, they're like one of five bands who are playing a small venue. They don't have any of their equipment, but they still make the decision to come out and play. And they play their hearts out. And I've seen them all the way up to Fish, all the way up to Ozzy, all the way up to Metallic, all the way up to Pantera. You know what I'm saying? That's all these big acts. Heart-wise, though, that show still, to this day, we're talking 24, 23 years later, 25 years later, I'll maybe almost this point in time, have that much of an impact on me because of the heart behind it. And that's hands down probably the most favorite I've show I've ever been to on that level because of what I saw back then. And knowing the music business like I did, knowing the mm-hmm. how record companies worked, how you know what I'm saying, like how AR worked, how music stores worked about yeah. I think that's yeah. awesome, dude. I think that's awesome, man. A couple things. Like you said that you grew you know, well you had those years in Hollywood. Um what was probably like one of the most memorable things music wise when you were out there during that point? Well, that could go a couple of different levels. That question is kind of two sided. Hollywood was Hollywood in and of itself. Music wise, the very first CD I ever bought in Hollywood was at the Sam Goody on Hollywood Boulevard. And I will tell you, it's a CD that I had probably listened to twice. I don't own it anymore. I will never listen to it again. And it might surprise you. It was Nirvana's Nevermind. Wow. So, and again, told you earlier about having this conversation with myself because I was trying to have an idea in my head that I wanted to talk to you about. And I kind of knew your cadence and I knew what you were going to talk to. It was 1990, and I remember buying that CD, and I had never heard them. Uh, it was at the Sam Goody on Hollywood Boulevard. I brought it home, and I listened to it, and I didn't know what it was. But I remember the cover of it, and I remember I had money. And back in 90, I didn't have a lot of money, okay? But I remember I happened to have money that I could actually buy a CD. And it was the very first CD I ever bought, wow. like a CD itself, okay? Wow. Yeah. And I remember bringing it home and listening to it. And so 90, you know, oh, grunge had picked up, grunge hadn't grown up, Nirvana hadn't grown up, and I bought it, I remember listening to it, not liking it, okay? mm-hmm. I can tell you why, that was another fucking five hour conversation, I didn't like it, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever listened to it again, I might have listened to it once or twice, even if I, yeah, even yeah. If I ever got through it the very first time, yeah. Yeah. I do remember, I moved to Washington in 94, and I started working at a Sam Goody. So I lived in Washington the same year, within months, that Kurt killed himself. Okay? And even then, you have to understand, I grew up on classic rock country and heavy metal, okay? Yeah. Heavy metal was my baseline. So grunge music um, was never, that Seattle alternative sound, short of Pearl Jam, was never my cup of tea. I just yeah. never mixed, it never mixed with the, the cadence in my head. And, um, I remember living in, in Seattle and Kurt killed himself. But even at that point in time, I was 94, I was 19 years old. Okay? Yeah. I'm young and cocky, whatever. I think I, I fucking own the world. You know what I'm saying? I really don't. But. You were 19 or 20? In 94, I was 19. Okay. I didn't turn 20 until 95, February 95. So, um, I'm in Washington 
uh, Kurt killed himself. Jerry died all within, I don't know, that same summer. And even then, I was in a music store, but I had two jobs, but I wasn't like into music like some people were. And Nirvana never really did anything for me. I, I wasn't a big Nirvana fan, but I was working in a music store. But I do remember from the Money Banks, the Whiska Talk came out. Mm-hmm. The Nirvana MTV Unplugged album. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was I don't know if that was in ninety four ninety five I think I was still in Washington, and I remember at that time that's when I really was like, because uh, don't mind you, at the same summer that I bought Nirvana, I ended up buying Pearl Jam, I ended up buying Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Yeah, yeah. So two hours from two albums from ninety, okay, out of the three, impacted my life to this day, still impact my life. Yeah. The one that impacted a lot of people did not. I did not like Nirvana, right? So fast forward to like 94 from, from when that live album came out, I remember listening to that going, this is really fucking good. Yeah. And to this day, I'm not a big Nirvana fan, okay? But from the Money Vix, the Wiscata, yeah, that live album, in my opinion, is their best album because of the purity from it. Not that I'm discounting In Utero or, or Nevermind. Yeah. No, or, it... Live acts sometimes are better than studio albums. Right. I think yeah. it's just pure coming from the, in looking back on it, at 19, 20, 21, 22, you don't think about what somebody's going through, but over the years you tend to think about, okay, what put Kurt, and I'm going to segue into something else that I have to say about this, but what put, what put Kurt into that mindset, the purity of his sadness came out in his voice when he did not have something electric behind him. He was just singing. Okay? And that led me to come to the conclusion, and Jack and I had this conversation about um, changes in music, because I know you've had kind of this conversation in the past. Changes, in, and, and this is all, in my mind, it's all one thing about what impacted me about Hollywood and, and, and knowing what I know. Music-wise, you have, you have, jazz you have the 40s the 30s the 20s and then you don't have much music change all the music is some iteration of the other and then you have guys that elvis comes along and elvis kind of like changes the face of the music he changes the faces of blues and rock and roll and then you have the beatles that come along that like changes the face of rock and roll but then from elvis and the beatles on you don't have a really large change you have just different iterations of that what they changed and then in 1990, Kurt came along, Nirvana came along, and I truly believe that was the last change in music. If you look at it from an impactful level, like Elvis did or the Beatles did from music, Nirvana, and don't get me wrong, I've heard you talk, there are bands that I don't know, but I mean, all those other bands that are part of that scene. But that was the last major change in music. Yes. The last digression, the last continuation of music, where something actually changed that impacted the music industry. Yeah, it took a... But yes, it took the level, it was here, and then it went up here. Yes, yeah. And now it's plateaued again. There's nothing that's come across since then, but it took me so many years. It took me having conversations like this with other people, and mostly Jack, Jack... him and I, just like you and I did, we sync very well on the same mental. Yeah, yeah. Having conversations for hours and losing time, mm-hmm. it took me a long time to realize that, like, 
I was going to analyze music and I was going to say, what are the big changes in music over the past 50 years or 60 or 75 years? You have Elvis and you have the Beatles and then you really don't have much and then you have Nirvana and then you don't have anything else. That was a, and, not, and I'm not, I'm kind of pigeonholing, but I don't mean to pigeonhole Nirvana. Not to say that they were the only ones that changed the sound, but they were the one band that everybody recognized that changed that sound. It took a mash of everything, put it together, and it worked in the aspect that it impacted the world. You have segmentation of music impacting with metal, with classic rock. Well, classic rock is kind of a continuation of that, so I will take that out. But you have metal, you have R&B, you have rap music. Rap music coming out of R&B, metal coming out of classic rock, made an impact of the new country that we listen to today coming out of the old country with some rock and extend, but there's not been really any like huge blow up. And I think for mm-hmm. them, and it took me a long time to realize that they were the, dare I say it, because I I don't want to be blasphemous to anybody that listens to this, that they, Nirvana was the Beatles and or Elvis of the, our generation on some level, yeah, because they changed it. And I, I have not heard, and granted, I don't listen to anything new because yeah. I don't tend to like any of the music, but that's just me going back to you, Sydney. Yeah. And well, I haven't gotten there yet. And I, and I can say honestly that I think Radiohead is a big part of that pivotal twist from like when we went from rock to electronic. And then, alternative. If you take yes, alternative and you yeah. segregate it out of one, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you don't you don't include grunge in the alternative uh, vertical. Okay, you're yeah. absolutely right. And and I I don't know enough Radiohead to agree or disagree. I mean, I can kind of agree. Yeah. If you take it, if you move, if you move grunge and rock and metal, put that into a bucket, and you move it yeah. up to alternative. I agree with you mm-hmm. because they were the band that at that point in time, did did change the face of music if you go down the alternative path. Yes, yeah. yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, it, I see what you're saying, yeah. I, and I only agree with that. I don't know enough to not agree with you, but I know just enough to... to does that make sense? Like, I, mm-hmm. I can't say no, I don't agree with you. Like, uh, you know Radiohead a lot better than me. I like Radiohead. Yeah. But uh, I'm kind of going back in my music style mm-hmm. i'm going back to the past and yeah. kind of trying to work my way forward yeah there well I, I i tend to go both ways me i i'll right. I, i'm like i'm i'm like trying to pick up on everything now and see where maybe yeah. it gets influenced from before <laughs> but then i go all the way back i go i go way back uh to be honest jeremy is like <clears throat> my big way back thing is is davis is miles davis that's how far back i like to go because like that was somebody from jazz right. when jazz was like <clears throat> even before rock and roll miles davis before right. before rock and roll come out and he went <clears throat> along with rock and roll all the way up into hip hop and many artists can't fucking do that he went from like he went from jazz to fucking jam rock like the jam band santana shit to fucking hip hop how many artists can do that much of a fucking leap so, so let me ask you a question, because it relates to something that I've had this conversation with friends before, um, and I've had it via text, and so text does not translate as well as face-to-face conversations. I have a natural tempo in my head. I don't know what you call it, but I call it the natural tempo in my head, mm-hmm. where 
I can listen to music that matches that tune. If I use punk music as a, an example, mm -hmm. punk doesn't match the tempo in my head, but heavy metal does. Mm -hmm. I appreciate punk, but I just, every time I listen to punk, it just isn't doing anything for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I get exactly what you're saying. It doesn't match the tempo. Like, I, I don't it doesn't hit the neurons the same way as somebody that right. would love okay. that. Yeah. So, yeah. Taking that back to your talk about lines. So I told you I'm trying to go back and I don't not like jazz. I don't not like mm -hmm. lines. But jazz doesn't do that for I get it. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But I haven't hit that point in my life. Uh, I'm like at the grateful dead stage of my life, okay? But I'm gonna be honest with you, like put you in time. Like I still need to go back farther and find that temple where I can I can Well you can with with dead you can go all the way back to bluegrass. I get it, I get it, yeah, I understand yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. I get it. But bluegrass is still a different temple than jazz. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so there are things that don't match the temple in my head to your point about going back to Miles. Um I I like jazz, but I've never been able to uh jazz makes me um uh Okay, for example, I can put on uh, Pink Floyd any day and just put it on the back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, or, or I can put on, not necessarily Metallica, but anything classical rock, anything blues rock, I can put on, and I don't have an issue with it. But then you put on jazz, you put on like horns or something, right? Yeah. And my brain's like... Yeah, yeah. I, you know what I'm saying? I yeah. can't... I can't uh, um, because it doesn't match that tempo in my head. It doesn't match that um, that cadence of the natural beat that's going on in my head. I want it to. I want to be able. And, and I, I, my end game is to be able to like go back and listen to that stand the standards. Yeah. And when I say standards, I mean like any Grateful Dead album that I should have listened to, or I should know any Fish album, or any Miles Davis album, any mm -hmm. any uh, Genesis album, anything that. Somebody might, uh, my circle, my inner circle, yeah, you, Jack, any of those people might know and love that I never got a chance to listen to. Mm -hmm. My end game is to eventually do that so I can at least go back and go, okay, I know this album, I love this album, I know this album from the back of my catalog, I've listened to it. Yes, yes. And I haven't been able to get back to jazz because jazz doesn't meet that tempo. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it will. Uh, maybe I'll be able to someday go back and I'll be sitting here and go uh, uh, Grateful Dead is an example and I would have to find the album I'll find it and I'll text it to you it's a it's a there was this just this change in between drums and it was drums into something on this Grateful Dead album and the album itself was just another Grateful Dead album in my opinion and I haven't listened to a lot so I don't really I can't really say that like I'm just there's no always on Grateful Dead but this drums into something i remember listening to it and it was one of those albums that was in the back of my head and i was like holy shit that segue was beautiful the entire album could have been nothing if not for that piece you know what I'm yeah, yeah yeah and, and i was sitting here and i had to text and, and again if you texted me an album if you said to me and i i'm asking you to do this okay send me an album on spotify or just say jeremy go listen to this i think i'll appreciate it okay yeah. I will get to it. I'm not. Yeah. And, uh, but Fish Live is pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. But, but they will say, listen to this Fish album or listen to this Grateful Dead album. 
it's great because I can put it in the background and it's all, you know, it's all grateful dead. But then there's just that one moment and that, that one moment like, is what it's all about. For you, it's jazz. For me, it's going back. I want that one moment. I want to be able to find something. Even if I don't, I want to be able to say, I try to find something yeah. that now I understand what my friends said. You should listen to this album yeah. for, for so many years and I never did. And it's amazing in the aspect that I think that's what music is about. Yes. It's not about... Oh, who was your friend that you were talking about? About um, the Love the Boy bands? Uh, that was uh, Bo Oren. Bo, okay. So I was laughing with Bo. Uh, because the poor guy kind of buried his soul. He's like, yeah, I like boy bands. I did. So thinking about back to when we worked at you know, the, yep. the music tour, Sam Goody, I wasn't a Backstreet Boys fan. Yeah. Not that I didn't appreciate them. Yeah. But I loved NSYNC. Yes. Okay. I love Justin Timberlake. I loved the R and B fill that he gave to his music. Yes. Yeah. The, well, it was music. It was. Mm. It might have been. You had producers. You had other writers. Okay. But you still have that production feel. That this mm-hmm. is a music album. I don't care if it's a, a beats or if it's if it's electronic. As long as there was heart to it. You have artists today that put out music because they put out music, but. You don't feel the heart, and maybe it's because that artist. Um. Well. What? No fun. You you said you've listened to my past my my past episodes. You, I brought up Billie Eilish quite a bit. Okay. And um, she was one of those people I never listened to until I was like, okay, why is this person getting all this attention? I finally went and listened to her her stuff, and I was like, and then I watched her documentary that they had on Apple. Um, and I was like, holy shit, man, this, somebody that's putting out her emotion and like dealing with a lot of, you just proved my point though. Yeah. You proved my point. And I will tell you, I don't, I have not listened to her entire time, but I like some of her songs. Yeah. And actually one of her songs I like, my wife doesn't like, and my wife made a point of saying that she does not like. Yeah. But I said, I like this song. But I like that song because I feel the heart in it. Yes, exactly. I'm not, I, yeah. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that that's every artist to me, but I've listened to newer bands in the past few years, and I did not feel that heart in it. Yeah. I felt the music in it. But there's a big difference between listening to a heart in a song yeah. and, and to listen to a musician putting out, putting out music. Yeah. Okay? I'm not discounting either. Somebody might hear somebody's heart in, a, in an album or in a song, and I don't. Mm-hmm. In this day and age, I don't listen to the music. Uh, I probably should, but I'm trying to go back. And it's, there's just so much out there, too. But, I mean, you but, know. But, but yeah. again, um, I want to be able to feel that. I want to feel that I might listen to, like, going back to the album conversation uh, or the conversation you had with, with previous people about mm-hmm. listening to a record. It's one thing to hear the single, okay? But what do you miss on the rest of the album? If all the album is is a single, then it's fine, but it... Yeah. Well, we live life. in a singles... We live in a single downloaded age, you know? Yes, yeah. yes. But we, have, what is it? we don't even live in that. We have lived in that because we sold singles yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah, but they used to sell 45s back in the day, though, too. Right, I mean, yeah. right. But we don't get to see... I want to see... I want to be able to listen to an album... I want you to send me an album and go, what do you think of this? Okay, yeah, so do yeah. it when we're done with this and you're sending it home tomorrow or, or you get it in a week and yeah. you're like, okay, I'm listening to this. Maybe Jeremy will appreciate this. Yeah. Send me this Spotify. 
and just asking what I think about because I want to be able to. I'm going backwards, but I, I want to be able to appreciate what other people appreciate because yeah. I don't tend to listen to new music like you like you uh, new music writers or not. Um, I don't tend to do that, but I, if you send something, you're like, hey, what do you think of this? And I listen to it, I'm like. I might agree with you or I might not. But I and and that's the thing. Things. We all have different tastes and we have different right. things that we're like drawn to and we love right. and we right. taste. And like, right. like I have a lot of mediocre stuff that I know that never was popular that I still love. And I still follow some bands that never became popular because that's right. who I like and that's who I'm right. into, you know. And I love when it comes to like all the different avenues and roads we can go down to when it comes to music, you know. Do you have a favorite Pink Floyd album or Yeah, I do. Um it's cliche, but there's a reason behind it. It's so yeah. cool. It's my earliest memory of music. Or like seventy nine and stepdad's Camaro, like four years old, we listening to you know, the Brooklyn Wall Part Two, we don't need no education. Yeah. Uh, I get hearing that on the radio. And that impact that impacted me. From a musical standpoint, you hear music. Have you ever been walking in the street and hear a piece of music and you're just like, holy shit, what is that? Or you yeah. walk into a store. Recently, the past year, Soundtrack Sector 9 was introduced to me. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen them a couple times. They, they, they've got this, uh, um, they've got this song, Click, Click, Ling, Echo. It's from Red Rocks. Uh-huh. We were at a store. I shazammed it. I listened to the album. It was amazing. So I equate that to soundtracks like the nine I, I clean I, I, I had to have been four years old maybe five years old so we're talking 74 or I'm sorry 79 I can remember being in my stepdad's Camaro and I, I only know that it was 79 or 80 because he did not have that Camaro very long so it had to have been between 79 and I remember hearing it and and then the impact later the impact is is that's a like a comfort problem to me, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. every time I listen to it, I learn something new or I have a different thought process about it, about what Roger was thinking when he wrote it and what he was going through and where he was in 75, 76 when they were writing it, coming out of World War One mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and his father and his mother and, and the impacts and then in Britain and the war, but even then his mental stability because there's so many levels of it, you know, the war level and his father but then you also have like the walls that people build it's so fucking cliche but yeah the walls yeah. that people build right and and how we tear those walls down and the walls are played to many different things the walls mm-hmm. equate to the walls we build when we're growing up that our parents teach us to build but they don't mean to and the walls that we build with relationships and what happens when we have a bad relationship or a good relationship in the walk you know and so every time i listen to it it's just that's like if i was going to say that it would be the wall because it's a it's a comfort album. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a comfort thing for me. It's a it's a. I can't think of anything else to listen to, but I need something in the background. I'll put that album on. Do you have a favorite album? I've thought about this question uh, numerous times. No, I, I I don't. I have favorite albums at that point in time that I'm asking. But if I was going to go back to an album over and over again, like I couldn't do anything without. No, because. Well, this is one I've been doing with people now, is that I would love to hear a favorite album of yours, like you talked about the Sound Tribe Sector 9, but a favorite album of yours that is maybe not something that a lot of people know about, but you would feel like, like, you would feel like, I would love for people to listen to this album. This is Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, Americano, okay? You remember the Refreshments? Yeah. This is funny, think about it. 1996. That album came out that year, and you've been introduced me to it. 
Three years later, Roger Klein, or I'm sorry, the refreshment's broken. Roger Klein and P.H. Naka, the drummer, played at Lions Lord. So we're going back to the Lions Lord. Wow, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't remember who you talked about that. You guys Ozo Motley. You saw Ozo. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. so well, I, remember, I remember seeing Roger Klein in 99 with P.H. And so we're talking 22 years now. Um, Roger Klein, if I was going to give you a band that I said, I want people, not even an album, but a band I want people to listen to, I want them to just listen to it, just, just to listen to the catalog. Start with the refreshments, they put out two studio albums. And you have the freshmen broke up. Now you have Roger Klein and Epic Sneakers. They're 100% independent band. They've got six studio albums out. Americano came out after we were at, we were at Southwest, and they put it out on... So Emma Java, Emma Java was Roger's label, but Margaritaville, Jimmy Buffett's label, put it out. And I remember not knowing about it. And I remember looking at, I don't know, Rolling Stones or whatever. It was one morning I woke, I woke, I opened the store. I think you were there. I'm pretty sure you were there. Yeah. One morning I opened the store. I got everything cleaned up. I didn't have much going on. There was nobody in the store. And I remember seeing an ad for this album. So I called the label and I said, hey, can you send me a copy of this? I want to put it in the store. Yeah. And, so the label was like, yeah, sure, wasn't it to you? you know? So they sent it to me. And every morning I opened up for weeks. I remember this now. I remember I this. Just, oh, was, man. So every morning, finally you let me take it on. I don't know how that if If, if I was going to listen to a, I guess if I, I equate it to something, you have people that you follow Dave Matthews, you follow, follow Pearl Jam, okay, you've seen a lot of times. I can't tell you how many times I've seen Roger Klein and the Peacemakers in yeah, some time. Yeah. In some in some iteration. I've never seen the refreshments together, but I've seen um, two of, uh, of them together. But mm-hmm. I've probably seen Roger Klein in some aspect about 30 times over the past 20 years. And they're the band that um, I got my wife into. I, I have to bring this up because I just need to say it. When I got into them to the point where I understood the catalog so well, I said to myself, if I ever get somebody into this band as much as I am, I'm going to marry that person. Well, I, did. I did. All right. And I don't say that. I don't say that joke only because I have this thought process way before, way before I ever met my wife. I ever, you know, I have four tattoos that equate to that band on some level. Okay. Yeah. Stories behind them. Two of them are the same. If I had a band that I would, I followed, or I would follow, like some people follow the Grateful Dead, or some people follow. That was. Dead. That would be it. It would be Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, just because, and, and it's not one of those things where any show changes, okay? Because I've seen them back-to-back nights, and the show was the same exact. Yeah. Does okay. he know who you are? Uh, well, I'm sure if he saw me, okay? I'm sure if he saw me, he would recognize me, but he wouldn't know my name. Yeah. I've met him enough times. This is an entire different conversation. I can show you all this shit. Yeah. They're one of those bands that you put on that, for me, uh, I don't know, I'm going to equate it to maybe Pearl Jam or Radiohead for you. Yeah. where you know every single album almost back to back you know a moment for every song where that moment in a song where that song meant something to you at a moment in your life you remember seeing it one version or a different version and you equate it to just giving you a it's a peace of mind type of situation yeah. like they're just one of those bands for me like he's one of those bands he's one of those artists for me that he's like the full package like they're 100 percent independent they do everything on their own they have their own label they have their own company um, the shows that they put on, they, they're doing them on their own. They're not, they're not radio, they're not labeled backs. And the hearts they put into it, the followers are good people. I could get up on my own tangent about them, just like I probably could find any fish follower or any grateful dead follower or any. But they're just one of those bands that just, when I forget who I am, 
I'm having a bad day and I forget who I am and I need to remember who I am. They're a good band to put on to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. I love it. No, I love it. No, it's it's great, man. That's that's the way music should be. And I I know I've talked enough about Pearl Jam enough to where people like, you know, think that's the only band that impacts me the way they do. But I mean, they they are the one I probably have spent the most money on to see and material wise and all that. But ever but when I was a kid, it was Depeche Mode. Um, <clears throat> I was a huge Depeche Mode fan when I was in my teenage years, you know and. And I got to see them, luckily enough, during their one of their biggest peaks. So I, I got I got to see them at the Violator tour at Red Rocks. Yeah, I was visiting um, family in uh, Colorado during the summer when I was fifteen, sixteen, at Red Rocks. That was like one of that was probably the first biggest show I've ever been to, and it like changed me forever. And like I was a fan of theirs before, but that like brought me to the point where I bought everything and. All their import singles, and I mean, but there's there's certain bands like that in our lives that we've always had that impact, and like the Clash was one of those other bands that are for me, and that's what I that's what I uh, went and got there was. This is the album I'd love for you to listen to at some point that I used to play when I worked in Glenwood Springs. I would like I would play that album every fucking day, and I think it annoyed the fuck out of everybody, but. They, they, the, the, the family or the, um, the people that run his, um, his estate just released on vinyl and for digital download some live versions of that stuff. And I got, it came out like a week or two ago and it's available to stream. Like I would recommend you checking that out too, the live stuff. Yeah. And then listen to like the live versions of those songs. Along with, he does like live versions of those, a few of those songs, and then the Clash stuff. And he, Joe, like, Joe didn't have the greatest voice, but he had the biggest heart, and he put everything he could into his music. And, I mean, that's why the Clash became the Clash, obviously. He eventually, you know, was away from the, from the limelight for a while, and then right before his death, he came out with that album and was was touring. And I was like, I'll go see him like when he comes back around, you know. And then he ends up ends up dying of a heart attack. And he had some of the biggest impacts on some of the biggest bands that are still touring and are huge to this day. Two of the biggest acts out there that are touring, he was he influenced them, and that was Pearl Jam and U2. And whatever people might think of them, and you know, as huge as they are, and and all that, and so on and so forth, because you know, I was talking to somebody about this. The bigger the bigger a band gets, and the bigger they get for what their political beliefs are, the more you want to tear them down and rip them apart. The more people hate them, and they are huge for a reason. They've impacted the world, so obviously they've made some influence. But Joe did the same to me when I was young. When I lured the Clash for the first time, I'm like, I feel what he's saying. I, I hear it in his, his lyric. I, I can hear it in his message. And then I watched some documentaries on him and stuff, and I was like, wow, this guy just says whatever the fuck he wants and doesn't, like, you know, hold back. I love that impact with music. I love the idea that you're singing from your heart. And when artists do that, it's a great thing. Do you have a favorite, like, love song? Did you have a wedding song? Or do you have, like... Somebody's love song may not be, like, the biggest surprise. The You two... Remember Eagles of Death Metal had the whole Paris incident? Where the... Oh, right. They, they were in 
in Paris, right, is the, the and, shooting. The, the and the, and they, the, bomb, the, the bomb, the bomb that went yeah, off yeah, at their con. You two, during this pandemic, has been releasing um, their most impact live shows of all time. Like, they did the Red Rocks, and they've done the, the Zoo tour. But the last one they just released last week, they were supposed to do a, a show in Paris, and then that happened. And right. so they delayed it, like, three weeks, okay? Right. I remember that. And they let the Eagles of Death Metal close their show. They ended their show, did a song with the Eagles of Death Metal, and then the Eagles of Death Metal did a few songs and ended the show. With you too? Yeah, at the U2 concert. Oh, wow. And you talk about a lot of emotion. They had three weeks to plan that show when they were able to do it. All the video footage and all the emotion they put into that, that show. They When they played one, that song never had an impact as much as it did for me since like the first time I heard it when I watched that show because of the incident that happened. Because if you listen to the lyrics to that song and about everything that you know we're going through now in, a war, in this world and everything that went on at that point when that happened in that situation, man, you talk about lyrics and how it impacts you and how... Okay, so, so, so I will look it up. I think I know the song, but I can't. One, I can't. One, and, and like, it, and there's been so many covers of it and everything. Like, there's many love songs that, that'll do that to me, you know? Like, I mean, Everlong, the acoustic version of Everlong by Foo Fighters, man. I mean. So, to answer your question, yeah. Uh, we go back to Roger Klein and the Peace Bankers. Mm-hmm. So, when you go down to, to, to Mexico, uh, life's a little bit different. Okay? It's a little bit slower, and you have a lot of people trying to sell things. Mm-hmm. You're on the beach. There's a town called Rocky Point, Puerto Pinesco, and it's right on the armpit. It's right up in the, in the Sea of Cortez in, in Mexico. So you can be on the beach, and you'll have all the vendors. They're always trying to sell you something. They're trying to sell you bracelets. They're trying to sell you uh, grains of rice with your name on it. They'll take the time to write your name on a grain of rice, and they'll, they'll put it in, in, in water. And so that takes a lot. It takes a lot. So think about that. Okay, so if somebody's taking time to write your name or a name on a grain of rice. So now you're down there, so they want to charge you one price for it. And then so so when you're down there, you always have to negotiate a cost, right? You have to negotiate, you know, they want $20 for it, but you negotiate it down for like $2 or whatever. It's in, so Roger Klein, the Peacemakers, on the Americano album, um, has this song, um, Your Name on a Grain of Rice. And it's about, you know, Roger's been married for, I don't know, 25, 28 years now, I don't know. So he's got a long-term relationship with his wife and, the first time I ever heard that song, it was coming out of the, the breakup that you know about when we first started working together. But I heard this song, and, and so if you listen to the lyrics, the lyrics are basically about this guy has got so much love for the person that he's with that he's willing to pay this vendor whatever the cost is, I'm going to pay full price for that. So that's the song. If you use it from that aspect, if you look at it from a love aspect, to look at it from a life aspect, and I have a grain of rice hanging in my truck. It's been hanging in, I've had my truck for seven almost seven years now elise bought it for me after we got together after i introduced her to roger klein before we had gone to mexico for the first time she bought this for me um we weren't even in a committed relationship we were but we weren't like you know serious i'm sorry we were engaged at that point in time but i had it for a little bit longer and she ordered it It was that the thought process is the, the feeling behind that Roger Klein and, and mexico they go hand in hand if you know the band you know mexico it's kind of like knowing I don't know, a, a band in a particular town, a particular place. Yeah. Okay, so they down in Puerto Panesco, we went down there, you know, within six months of going, being together. We didn't see Roger Klein, but I'm like, she trusted me to take her on a trip 
to a different country, even though it's a border, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, you want to go to Mexico? And she's like, yeah. So we drove to Mexico. We have all these memories from that particular vacation. But the intent was, that's the song that kind of like was my baseline for my thought process about, and it's not even love, it's about relationships. It's about what you put into people. It's about how much you're going to give and what that person's worth. It's, it's we, we have relationships our entire life. We have people that are either, we're either in an emotional love relationship or we're in a friendship love relationship. And they come and they go and people, or we don't love people or they're peripheral friends or they're our best friends or they're close friends, but how much we're going to put into it and what is it worth? What is that person's worth to you? And the song for me is impactful in that aspect that, that that person is so worthful to you that you actually don't have a problem with whatever the cost is, you're going to pay full price for it yeah. because that person is worth it to you. And so that's impactful on a, a if you want to call it a love relationship, a, a, my significant other relationship, but it's also impactful in a life relationship. What am I going to pay in my cost? What is my relationship? What is our relationship worth? You know what I'm saying? What is your relationship worth with your best friend? What is your relationship worth with your parents? Like, I don't want to, it's not a, putting a financial value on it. It's putting a importance, importance, right? So it's important to me. I don't care what the cost is. I'm going to pay full price for it yeah. because it's important to me. Or do I negotiate it down because that relationship is whatever. And so that's the song. Like, um, but um, yeah, that, that would be the one. That would be the yeah. one song that if I had to put a name to it. That would be it. It's a good one. I like it. I love hearing that. Yeah. For rock and roll sake. Okay. Mm -hmm. With heart. Every song has got heart. Going back to our early conversation about having feeling a song that's got heart to it, every single song has heart to it. It might not hit you on a word level, on a mental word level, but you're still going to be able to. I'm hoping that you'll still you will be able to hear what's behind it and go, okay, you know what? This is actually really good. I want to discover more. It's a, it's not something that I listen to every day. It's not something that I'm like, oh, well, this is all I'm going to listen to. But it's one of those things that you keep in the back of for me in my back pocket. It's in my well, like I said earlier, if I need to listen to something, I need to remember who I am. It's Rush Klein. Who would you like to see in concert that you haven't seen in concert? Gordon Lightfoot. Wow. Okay. Like Gordon Lightfoot. So I told you I was going back in my music. Yes. And Gordon Lightfoot, unfortunately, I think he's retired. I mean, he's like 80-something years old or 79 yeah. years old yeah. or whatever. But he hasn't, I don't think he's toured in like eight years or something like that. I was in my house last year. Um, Sunshine by Gordon Lightfoot. It came up, I was I was cleaning the house and I was listening to it. I had this moment where, because I grew up on him, I knew all the words to a song and I had grown up on him. And I fell in love with the words again because I actually like started listening to the words, to what they meant, but I saw the double entendre to it as well because there is a double entendre for the song. So I'm like, okay, this is kind of like a, a new, back at the point in time where I had in the back of my head that I wanted to be more diligent about listening to music. So it's about going on about six or eight months now where I was making a point to like, should go back and listen. I fell in love because the man's a wordsmith. His words are, knows how to put a song together. He knows how to tell a story in two and a half minutes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is just like, comes up on my Spotify list three times a week. If I'm in my truck, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause you know how Spotify randomizes and like your daily mix or whatever. Yeah. It's a, you, you get a story, you get a, a beginning, a middle, and an end to a story, two and a half minute, three minute period. If I was, if it was 20 years ago and you asked me that question, I'd be like, who the fuck is Gordon Lightfoot, right? I, I knew his songs growing up on him from the radio and from my parents and from my grandparents and whatever. But now I can appreciate it because of the storytelling behind it. And so last year after I had this incident, 
I started looking up and I started doing more research on it. And I'm like, and I knew you were going to ask this question. So I was thinking about it. And I'm like, if I had to say one person that I wanted to see or would want to see living or dead, it would be him because of the, who says they want to see Gordon Lightfoot? You do. And I'm saying, right. But, but who, like it, people listening to this might not know who the hell I'm talking about. He's a Canadian folk singer. I, I know who he is. You know, yeah, I wouldn't. You, you yeah, do. But yeah. the only reason, like if you hadn't worked in a music store as long as you did or didn't appreciate music, you wouldn't know who, who he was. Yeah, you're probably right. But millions of people did 40 years ago or 50 years ago. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So he's one of those artists that, like, every time he comes up on my playlist, I make a point that I have a couple albums. None of his hits are on that you would know. And I listen to it. But when I make a point to it, I listen to it because I want to know this artist because I appreciate him. I appreciate what he did because he's like a very small subset of a very, very large yeah. picture. You know, we've been talking about... um you know, living in this digital age and, you know, having singles and not having the albums like we're talking about we are enjoying now. You know, we have a lot of albums that we've been able to listen to. Have you, like, as of recent or even throughout your entire life listening to music, have a piece of album art that sticks out with you the most? Blind Faith, Blind Faith. And it's, it's weird. The album cover is very provocative. Yeah, I know which one you're talking so, about. So, yeah. so, so the top list, and she's got this airplane. And yeah. I think, I think probably, uh, probably Sam Goody and sorry, in SeaTac, Washington, my first Sam Goody store. And I don't even think I knew who Blind Faith was. Maybe I heard one of their songs. You yeah. know what I'm saying at that time. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing that album. And I remember thinking, what is this? She, even then, at it, it's 1994. Thinking that that album cover is very. What is this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, it sticks out. You're like, what yeah. the heck? When you see it, right. you know. But the but, band in general is one of the... Right, but, but the album cover itself is very, in this day and age, if I had to call something out, because it goes to show the time that it came out. That's like, like what, 1969, 1970, um, something like that. You could get away with that. There was no... It wasn't, I think... It was in... controversial. Yeah, okay. yeah. But it was not controversial by today's controversial. Clay, and, yeah. and, and so today, there's no... When we're living in the cancel culture and somebody looks at you wrong and, and somebody somebody gets offended by it, we were a lot simpler when that album cover came out. Not the yeah. album itself. When the album cover came out, like, human, humanity was simpler in the aspect that... Yeah. Okay, yeah, it was controversial, but it was only controversial to a subset of people. The people who it was actually targeted to, they didn't care because it was blind faith. The yeah. rest of the world didn't know about it. Yeah. But if they re-released that album today, and they re-released it on a brand new vinyl and remastered or whatever, and then somebody saw that, yeah. okay, it could cause a lot more issues. It would be they, probably it would be pulled off the shelf or it have a cover on it or that whatever. Album yeah. is, that album is it's more the longevity of it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't last today. If they released it today, it would not last today because somebody would come along and be offended by it. But the mentality back then, 40, 45, 48 years old, time was more simpler. And so that impacted me. And when I think about it, it just goes to show where society was then in yes. 60, you know, yeah. 70 yeah. versus where it's at now. There's another band. We're, we're going to have to table that because I do want to come back to it because it was yeah, an album. It's fine. It, came out, it came out on, on September uh, uh, 11th. It was supposed to come out on that Tuesday, September 11th. Yeah, yeah. A, a rap group, and they had the album. That, I remember this. That had the orchestra and the Twin Towers going down. Yes. Remember, because we had to pull it. Yeah. We had to pull. We had one copy in Breckenridge, but we had to pull it. They told us like two days later, pull this album and send it back, mm. because that album happened to come out the same week as September 11th. Oh yeah, happened. yeah. The Coop. 
Party Music was the album. So that album, just because they released it, it was supposed to come out that week. Yeah. And then we had it. I had it in my store. I remember what happened that week, but we had one copy one of all those. Uh, um, I could have bought it. I should have bought it. I know. I wish I would have now. Sorry. Right. Just because of the longevity, because it was so impactful. I don't even yeah, know. Exactly. I, know yeah. I don't even know if I know the group. I have even heard a song from them. We had many um, albums like that, though, too. Like, I remember working in all those years working in the record store. I remember there was times we had to put like stickers to cover an album because of some reason, or right. or you know, or they changed right. the cover because of some reason, you know, and and it you know not not even tying to nine eleven, just tying in general because it caused some kind of controversy or something right. like that, you know. And, and that was kind of at the beginning, not even the beginning of where we're at today in the aspect, but because we're coming out of the eighties and the nineties with uh, Tipper Gore and PMRC and the the parental advisory pre days, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I remember having that conversation with customers that parental advisory stickers weren't mandated. They're like, we had many arguments with parents because of that. Right. And parents. It was an advisory. They don't have to put that there. They're doing that there as a, as a courtesy to let you know that there are, happens to be cuss words or whatever somebody might find offensive because of what happened back in the 80s. Well, yeah, and I mean, always, you know, and that, and then I'd always have to use my judgment. I'd look at somebody going, is their parent going to come back and bitch at me when right. I sold something? Okay, so what's he buying? Okay, so should I sell this to him? No, I'm not going to sell this to you because I'm going to have that conversation later with the parent or, no, you know what, this parent's not going to care. Yeah. You could tell, like, there was a certain... <laughs> photos that stuck out to you like any um like there's always photos i go man that really impacted that moment in time so i graduated high school i just get my teeth and one of the biggest reasons i graduated is because i had to do a autobiography i had to get up in front of class and i had to speak from somebody's point of view so i was very big into i saw because back then i was very big into the doors i saw the doors the day that it opened the first show in hollywood at the the Cineplex Podium in Hollywood in 1990. That's how big of a Doors fan I was. Mm -hmm. So Val Kilmer, I ditched high school. Right, I, I was 15 years old, maybe 16. I was 16 years old at this point in time. I ditched high school to be at the very first showing. It was sold out. Uh, there was standing room. They had people standing in the back of it. But my point is, is I was such a huge Doors fan back in high school. I had read um, the John Denver book. I had read uh, No One Here Gets Out Alive. I still have that copy. I've had that copy for 31 years now. I have one too. My senior English teacher, my 12th grade senior English teacher, made us do our, I guess, our thesis. Okay, we had to pick somebody. We had to write a biography from their autobiography. And then we had to get up and pretend we were with them. We had to speak in front of class. So I did it from Jim Morrison's perspective. But I remember those pictures, and I remember Jim Morrison, and I remember, and you know, you have time. But back then, there was no internet. We were all looking at printed media or whatever. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So you don't have the things at your fingerprints today. So I only have the pictures I saw in the books or in magazines at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then you have more time in the past 30 years to, to see more pictures and see things that you did not have access to at that point in time. But I, I remember the, the those pictures, especially from the doors and, 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 and when they did that whole montage of her taking the pictures of him. Because I think it, it was just... The rawness of it, the rawness of a person, of an individual who, in his core, and I kind of reflect, and maybe not so much now, or maybe more so if I dive into the psychological aspect, you had a person who had so many things going on in his head, and he found an outlet, but then he was scared of that outlet, so he wouldn't play in front of his audience, he would turn his back, 
that's his like coming out and aspect like he's no longer afraid of anything. But then she takes these pictures and she happens to capture this prime point in this person's life who everything she captures is one hundred percent raw. So yeah, that's that that time frame, those pictures that she captured just of impact the doors were and Jim Morrison was as a as a teenager, you know, that those are your pivotal years. Like yeah. you know, you have your young as a kid, you have probably from like 11 10 to 12 that one thing happens but then you have like 13 to 16 where like everything happens and that kind of defines you as a human being yeah not ever want i don't ever want to be jim morrison but whatever (laughs) you know i don't want to do that but the honest of it the persona of it like having that ability to analyze the world and see it from such an aspect that he saw everything that was going on he was able to define it Mm -hmm. and put it into words that not maybe everybody understood, but some of us understood. Yeah. And so seeing personification of the in a picture, and I can still go back and look at those pictures today. Yeah. You know, it's still there because that's still captured. It's captured for 50 years or 45 years or whatever it is. You still see that if you know that person, you still see that in their eyes. You still see, yeah, I mean, conversationally, like, I know that you don't even have to include this, but I'm just having a conversation because I haven't talked to you like this. In no, time. no, this like, is good stuff. It's... When I was growing up, I didn't have any dreams. Um, I didn't like want to be like, didn't have any dreams on it. I didn't know what I was going to do. I turned 30 right when the poker room happened. Like Chris Moneymaker, ESPN was showing poker. Yeah, game, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I was managing apartments. It was right about the time that you left. Okay, so I was living in Capitol Hill because I think you saw. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah. I want. I get myself until I was forty to play cards professionally because I pl- I grew up playing cards and I, and I love playing cards. Yeah. And so that was like my goal. Like it was like the first goal. Like I said to myself, I'm going to do something by a certain date, right? Yeah. Well, forty rolls around and like I'm not playing cards professionally because as you said earlier, life gets in the way. <laughs> yeah, it happens. You know, and but I wasn't mad at myself because life changed. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't the same person I was at thirty. I wasn't. You know, I I, I had different goals and ambitions. And, and 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 now like I feel like we said earlier, I feel like we're at a point in our life where we can make we can actually make decisions and we can stick to those decisions mm-hmm. and we can be comfortable in those decisions as opposed to thinking a decision is good, making it on the fly, and it might have been good at the time, but comes come to find out it wasn't good at the But you gotta sometimes do those little things that kind of um feel out who you are, you know? Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. If you asked me who I was then, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Yeah, yeah. I was a cocky, you know, 25, 26, 27 year old who thought that I knew the world, but I really didn't. I didn't rule shit. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, now I rule my world. This is my world. You know exactly. World. And that's, I, you got it right there. Yeah, yeah. This is my world, and this is what I enjoy. This is what I want to do. And, and it's just like, you know, this little thing I'm doing here. This is something I love and I, something I, I enjoy doing. And, um, you're great at it. Like, don't, I, I get, I get the second guessing myself, I do. Um, but I also, um, I don't like to blow smoke anybody's ass. Okay. And every time I listen to one of your podcasts, all I want to do is listen to the next one. And I laughed and I listened. Okay. And there were moments where, like, you and I were on the same, and I wanted to text you. Okay. I literally was like, but I didn't want you to, I understood that you had probably recorded this in the past and you wouldn't have a point of reference if I told you that I was laughing at something except, yeah. you know, 25 minutes in the podcast and for two or something like that. Because I was like right there with you, you know what I'm saying? I was yeah. like, I remember those things. Like, 
uh, the whole fucking Mark Knopfler, okay? Yeah. You and I have never been at a show together. Uh-huh. But we were both at Mark Knopfler at Red Rocks. Yep. Okay? Yeah, I and know, yeah. We didn't even know each other, okay? But yep. we both went to Mark Knopfler. Like, yes. But, yep. just, but I was listening to that, and I'm just telling you, Nick, just, I'm trying to boost your confidence and, and stick with this, because I, I, as a person, I loved it, and it was good things. Like, it was like, it made me happy. Like, there was like, like there was never any like dull moment. There was there was a cadence to it. There was a story. There was a conversation to it. Like going back to Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's been doing it for like fourteen years. Like, yes. He one of the first podcasts. But look how long it took him. Yeah. But, like just stick with it. Like keep on doing that because you have the cadence. You have the questions. You have the. You can keep that conversation if you could, and it's a passion. I can hear it in your voice. I can literally, and I'm and also don't get me wrong. I might have come at the perfect time. Uh, I think we're all kind of starving for that face-to-face conversation, for that yeah. one-on-one conversation, for that in-depth conversation. Um, I can't tell you the last time I had a conversation like this. I mean, I have it with my wife. But I have it with my, kind of with my friends. But having to sit down and have a conversation with somebody like, uh, I don't think there's any better time now for either of us doing what we're doing, especially you, because we like to talk. We like to bullshit we like to analyze this we like to dig down into it like to to put a voice to thoughts in our head yes, yes. and i think you do a very good job of that you think you, well, thank you do a very good job of bringing uh, I, I do appreciate that thank you i want to thank jeremy mccree for uh joining me today um i've known jeremy mccree for a long time and this was probably one of my favorite conversations i've had um with somebody um, not to not to disregard all my other conversations. I just I've really enjoyed this a lot, and um, uh, thank you. And I hope you get to check out his webpage if you get a chance. And uh, you take care. Thank you, sir. Uh-huh. Sure. Just a little side note: Jeremy McCree's page is RFJ Adventures. That is on YouTube.com. Again, that is RFJ Adventures on YouTube.com. Please check it out. Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds. The music that made us.